And welcome to another World Audiobooks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If this is your first time jumping on the podcast, I don't know what you're doing listening to a random chapter out of Tarzan. You should really go back and listen to chapter one, or even go back and listen to chapter one of the first Tarzan book, because this is the second Tarzan book. Anyway, uh, welcome. If you are a new listener, you're welcome to start here. It'd just be kind of weird. <laughs> but there's so many awesome audiobooks we've uh, done on this podcast so far. You better go check them all out, because there's such good stuff. One thing I wanted to notice or wanted to mention, is that if you go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, I have uh, I had this on the old website, now I just finally re-added it to the new website, but you can get a free full audiobook. All you gotta do, go uh, to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, and then it's one of the very top options there, that just says free audiobook, and you can click that and put in your email, and I will send you a free audiobook of your choice. Can't get much better than that. But uh, right now, you're going to listen to a free audiobook chapter of The Return of Tarzan. So let's get into that without further ado. Chapter 4. The Countess Explains. Your Paris is more dangerous than my savage jungles, Paul, concluded Tarzan, after narrating his adventures to his friend the morning following his encounter with the Apaches and police in the Rue Mall. Why did they lure me there? Were they hungry? Dalnaught feigned a horrified shudder, but he laughed at the quaint suggestion. It is difficult to rise above the jungle standards and reason by the light of civilized ways, is it not, my friend? He queried banteringly. Civilized ways, forsooth, scoffed Tarzan. Jungle standards do not countenance wanton atrocities. There we kill for food and for self-preservation, or in the winning of mates and the protection of the young. Always, you see, in accordance with the dictates of some great natural law. But here? <laughs> Your civilized man is more brutal than the brutes. He kills wantonly. And worse than that, he utilizes a noble sentiment, the brotherhood of man, as a lure to entice his unwary victim to his doom. It was in answer to an appeal from a fellow being that I hastened to that room where the assassins lay in wait for me. I did not realize... I could not realize for a long time afterward that any woman would sink to such moral depravity as that one must have to call a would-be rescuer to death. But it must be so. The sight of Rokoff there and the woman's later repudiation of me to the police make it impossible to place any other construction upon her acts. Rokoff must have known that I frequently passed through the Rue Mall. He lay in wait for me. His entire scheme worked out to the last detail— even to the woman's story in case a hit should occur in the program, such as really did happen. It is all perfectly plain to me. Well, said Deonot, among other things, it has taught you what I have been unable to impress upon you, that the Rue Mole is a good place to avoid after dark. On the contrary, replied Tarzan with a smile. It has convinced me that it is the one worthwhile street in all Paris, Never again shall I miss an opportunity to traverse it, for it has given me the first real entertainment I have had since I left Africa. It may give you more than you relish, even without another visit, said Deonot. You are not through with the police yet, remember? I know the Paris police well enough to assure you that they will not soon forget what you did to them. Sooner or later they will get you, my dear Tarzan, and then they will lock the wild man of the woods up behind iron bars. How will you like that? They will never lock Tarzan of the apes behind iron bars, he replied grimly. There was something in the man's voice as he said it that caused Deonot to look up sharply at his friend. 
What he saw in that set jaw and the cold, grey eyes made the young Frenchman very apprehensive for this great child, who could recognize no law mightier than his own mighty physical prowess. He saw that something must be done to set Tarzan right with the police before another encounter was possible. "'You have much to learn, Tarzan,' he said gravely. "'The law of man must be respected, whether you relish it or no. Nothing but trouble can come to you and your friends should you persist in defying the police. I can explain to them once for you, and that I shall do this very day, but hereafter you must obey the law.' If its representatives say, come, you must come. If they say, go, you must go. Now, we shall go to my great friend in the department and fix up this matter of the Rue Moll. Come. Together, they entered the office of the police official a half hour later. He was very cordial. He remembered Tarzan from the visit the two had made him several months prior in the matter of fingerprints. When Deonot had concluded the narration of the events which had transpired the previous evening, a grim smile was playing about the lips of the policeman. He touched a button near his hand, and, as he waited for the clerk to respond to its summons, he searched through the papers on his desk for one which he finally located. "'Here, Joubon,' he said as the clerk entered. "'Summon these officers. Have them come to me at once.' And he handed the man the paper he sought. Then he turned to Tarzan. "'You have committed a very grave offence, monsieur,' he said, not unkindly. "'And but for the explanation made by our good friend here, I should be inclined to judge you harshly. I am instead about to do a rather unheard-of thing. I have summoned the officers whom you maltreated last night. They shall hear Lieutenant Dernot's story, and then I shall leave it to their discretion to say whether you shall be prosecuted or not.' You have much to learn about the ways of civilization, things that seem strange or unnecessary to you. You must learn to accept until you are able to judge the motives behind them. The officers whom you attacked were but doing their duty. They had no discretion in the matter. Every day they risked their lives in the protection of the lives or property of others. They will do the same for you. They are very brave men, and they are deeply mortified that a single unarmed man bested and beat them. Make it easy for them to overlook what you did. Unless I am gravely in error, you are yourself a very brave man, and brave men are proverbially magnanimous. Further conversation was interrupted by the appearance of the four policemen. As their eyes fell on Tarzan, surprise was writ large on each countenance. My children, said the official, here is a gentleman whom you met in the Rue Moy last evening. He has come voluntarily to give himself up. I wish you to listen attentively to Lieutenant Dernot, who will tell you a part of the story of Monsieur's life. It may explain his attitude toward you last night. Proceed, my dear lieutenant. Dernot spoke to the policeman for half an hour. He told them something of Tarzan's wild jungle life. He explained the savage training that had taught him to battle like a wild beast in self-preservation. It became plain to them that the man had been guided by instinct rather than reason in his attack upon them. He had not understood their intentions. To him, they had been little different from any of the various forms of life he had been accustomed to in his native jungle, where practically all were his enemies. "'Your pride was wounded,' said Deonot in conclusion. 
It is the fact that this man overcame you that hurts the most. But you will feel no shame. You would not make apologies for defeat had you been pinned in that small room with an African lion, or with the great gorilla of the jungles. And yet, you are battling with muscles that have time and time again been pitted, and always victoriously, against these terrors of the Dark Continent. It is no disgrace to fall beneath the superhuman strength of Tarzan of the Apes. And then, as the men stood looking first at Tarzan, and then, as the men stood looking first at Tarzan, and then at their superior, the ape-man did the one thing which was needed to erase the last remnant of animosity which they might have felt for him. With outstretched hand, he advanced towards them. "'I am sorry for the mistake I made,' he said simply. "'Let us be friends.' And that was the end of the whole matter, except that Tarzan became a subject of much conversation in the barracks of the police, and increased the number of his friends by four brave men at least. On their return to Deonot's apartment, the lieutenant found a letter awaiting him from an English friend, William Cecil Clayton, Lord Greystoke. The two had maintained a correspondence since the birth of their friendship on that ill-fated expedition in search of Jane Porter after her theft by Turkos, the bull ape. They are to be married in London in about two months, said Deonot, as he completed his perusal of the letter. Tarzan did not need to be told who was meant by they. He made no reply, but he was very quiet and thoughtful during the balance of the day. That evening they attended the opera. Tarzan's mind was still occupied by his gloomy thoughts. He paid little or no attention to what was transpiring upon the stage. Instead, he saw only the lovely vision of a beautiful American girl, and heard not but a sad sweet voice acknowledging that his love was returned, and she was to marry another. He shook himself to be rid of his unwelcome thoughts, and at the same instant he felt eyes upon him. With the instinct that was his by virtue of training, he looked up squarely into the eyes that were looking at him, to find that they were shining from the smiling face of Olga, Countess de Coud. As Tarzan returned her bow, he was positive that there was an invitation in her look, almost a plea. The next intermission found him beside her in her box. "'I have so much wish to see you,' she was saying. "'It has troubled me not a little to think that after the service you rendered, both to my husband and to myself, no adequate explanation was ever made to you of what must have seemed ingratitude on our part in not taking the necessary steps to prevent a repetition of the attacks upon us by those two men.' "'You wrong me,' replied Tarzan. "'My thoughts of you have been only the most pleasant. You must not feel that any explanation is due me. Have they annoyed you further?' They never cease, she replied sadly. I feel that I must tell someone, and I do not know another who so deserves an explanation as you. You must permit me to do so. It may be of service to you, for I know Nicholas Rokov quite well enough to be positive that you have not seen the last of him. He will find some means to be revenged upon you. What I wish to tell you may be of aid to you in combating any scheme of revenge she may harbour. I cannot tell you here, but tomorrow I shall be at home to Monsieur Tarzan at five. It will be an eternity until tomorrow at five, he said, as he bade her good night. From a corner of the theatre, Rokov and Paulvich saw Monsieur Tarzan in the box of the Countess de Coud, and both men smiled.
At 4.30 the following afternoon, a swarthy, bearded man rang the bell at the servant's entrance of the palace of the Count de Coude. The footman who opened the door raised his eyebrows in recognition as he saw who stood without. A low conversation passed between the two. At first, the footman demurred from some proposition that the bearded one made, but an instant later something passed from the hand of the collar to the hand of the servant. Then the latter turned and led the visitor by a roundabout way to a little curtained alcove off the apartment in which the countess was wont to serve tea of an afternoon. A half hour later, Tarzan was ushered into the room, and presently his hostess entered, smiling and with outstretched hands. "'I am so glad that you came,' she said. "'Nothing could have prevented,' he replied. For a few moments they spoke of the opera, of the topics that were then occupying the attention of Paris, of the pleasure of renewing their brief acquaintance which had had its inception under such odd circumstances, and this brought them to the subject that was uppermost in the minds of both. "'You must have wondered,' said the Countess finally, "'what the object of Rokhau's persecution could be. "'It is very simple. "'The Count is entrusted with many of the vital secrets of the Ministry of War. "'He often has in his possession papers that foreign powers would give a fortune to possess, "'secrets of state that their agents would commit murder, and worse than murder, to learn. "'There is such a matter now in his possession,' that would make the fame and fortune of any Russian who could divulge it to his government. Rokhov and Polovich are Russian spies. They will stop at nothing to procure this information. The affair on the liner, I mean the matter of the card game, was for the purpose of blackmailing the knowledge they seek from my husband. Had he been convicted of cheating at cards, his career could have been blighted. He would have had to leave the war department. He would have been socially ostracized. They intended to hold this club over him, the price of an avowal on their part that the Count was but the victim of the plot of enemies who wished to besmirch his name was to have been papers they seek. He thwarted them in this. They then concocted the scheme whereby my reputation was to be the price instead of the Count's. When Povich entered my cabin, he explained it to me. If I would obtain the information for them, he promised to go no farther, otherwise Rokhoff, who stood without, was to notify the purser that I was entertaining a man other than my husband behind the locked doors of my cabin. He was to tell everyone he met on the boat, and when we landed, he was to have given the whole story to the newspaper men. Was it not too horrible? But I happened to know something of Monsieur Povich that would send him to the gallows in Russia if it were known by the police of St. Petersburg. I dared him to carry out his plan, and then I leaned toward him and whispered a name in his ear. Like that! And she snapped her fingers. He flew at my throat as a madman. He would have killed me had you not interfered. The brutes, muttered Tarzan. They are worse than that, my friends, she said. They are devils. I fear for you because you have gained their hatred. I wish you to be on your guard constantly. Tell me that you will for my sake, for I should never forgive myself should you suffer through the kindness you did me. I do not fear them, he replied. I have survived grimmer enemies than Rokov and Polvich. He saw that she knew nothing of the occurrence in the Rue Mall, nor did he mention it, fearing that it might distress her. For your own safety, he continued, why do you not turn the scoundrels over to the authorities? They would make quick work of them. She hesitated a moment before replying. There are two reasons, she said finally. One of them it is that keeps the Count from doing that very thing, the other, 
My real reason for fearing to expose him I have never told. Only Rokoff and I know it. I wonder... And then she paused, looking intently at him for a long time. And what do you wonder? He asked, smiling. I was wondering why it is that I want to tell you the thing that I have not dared tell even to my husband. I believe that you would understand, and that you could tell me the right course to follow. I believe that you would not judge me too harshly. I fear that I should prove a very poor judge, madame, Tarzan replied. For if you had been guilty of murder, I should say that the victim should be grateful to have met so sweet a fate. Oh, dear, no, she expostulated. It is not so terrible as that. But first, let me tell you the reason the Count has for not persecuting these men. Then, if I can hold my courage, I shall tell you the reason that I dare not. The first is that Nicholas Orkoff is my brother. We are Russians. Nicholas has been a bad man since I can remember. He was cashiered from the Russian army in which he held a captaincy. There was a scandal for a time, but after a while it was partially forgotten, and my father obtained a position for him in the secret service. There have been many terrible crimes laid at Nicholas's door, but he has always managed to escape punishment. Of late, he has accomplished it by trumped-up evidence convicting his victims of treason against the Tsar and the Russian police, who are always, only too ready to fasten guilt of this nature upon any and all, have accepted his version and exonerated him. Have not his attempted crimes against you and your husband forfeited whatever rights the bonds of kinship might have accorded him? asked Tarzan. The fact that you are his sister has not deterred him from seeking to besmirch your honor. You owe him no loyalty, madame. Ah, what the hell is that other reason? If I owe him no loyalty, though he is my brother, I cannot so easily disavow the fear I hold him in because of a certain episode in my life of which he is cognizant. I might as well tell you all. She resumed after a pause. For I see that it is in my heart to tell you sooner or later. I was educated in the covent. While there, I met a man who I supposed to be a gentleman. I knew little or nothing about men, and less about love. I got into my foolish head that I loved this man, and at his urgent request, I ran away with him. We were to have been married. I was with him just three hours, all in the daytime and in public places, railroad stations and upon a train. When we reached our destination, where we were to have been married, two officers stepped up to my escort as we descended from the train and placed him under arrest. They took me also, but when I told them my story, they did not detain me, other than to send me back to the covent under the care of a matron. It seemed that the man who had wooed me was no gentleman at all, but a deserter from the army as well as a fugitive from civil justice. He had a police record in nearly every county in Europe. The matter was hushed up by the authorities of the Covent. Not even my parents knew of it. But Nicholas met the man afterward and learned the whole story. Now he threatens to tear the Count if I do not do just as he wishes me to. Tarzan laughed. You are still but a little girl. The story you have told me cannot reflect in any way upon your reputation. And were you not a little girl at heart, you would know it. Go to your husband tonight and tell him the whole story, just as you have told it to me. Unless I am much mistaken, he will laugh at you for your fears, and take immediate steps to put that precious brother of yours in prison where he belongs. I only wish that I dared, she said. But I am afraid. I learned early to fear men. First my father, then Nicholas, then the fathers in the covent. 
Nearly all my friends fear their husbands. Why should I not fear mine? It does not seem right that women should fear men, said Tarzan, an expression of puzzlement on his face. I am better acquainted with the jungle folk, and there it is more often the other way around, except among the black men, and they, to my mind, are in most ways lower in the scale than the beasts. Now, I cannot understand why civilized women should fear men, the beings that are created to protect them. I should hate to think that any woman feared me. I do not think that any woman would fear you, my friend, said Olga de Cood softly. I have known you but a short while, yet, though it may seem foolish to say it, you are the only man I have ever known whom I think that I should never fear. It is strange, too, for you are very strong. I wondered at the ease at which you handled Nicholas and Polvich the night in my cabin. It was marvellous. As Tarzan was leaving her a short time later, he wondered a little at the clinging pressure of her hand at parting, and the firm insistence with which she exacted a promise from him that he would call again on the morrow. The memory of her half-veiled eyes and perfect lips as she stood smiling up into his face as he bade her good-bye remained with him for the balance of the day. Olga de Coud was a very beautiful woman, and Tarzan of the Apes a very lonely young man, with a heart in him that was in need of the doctoring that only a woman may provide. As the Countess turned back into the room after Tarzan's departure, she found herself face to face with Nicholas Rokoff. "'How long have you been here?' she cried, shrinking away from him. "'Since before your lover came,' he answered with a nasty leer. "'Stop!' she commanded. "'How dare you say such a thing to me, your sister!' "'Well, my dear Olga, if he is not your lover, accept my apologies. But it is no fault of yours that he is not. Had he one-tenth the knowledge of women that I have, you would be in his arms this minute. He is a stupid fool, Olga. Why, your every word and act was an open invitation to him, and he had not the sense to see it.' The woman put her hands to her ears. I will not listen. You are wicked to say such things as that. No matter what you may threaten me with, you know that I am a good woman. After tonight you will not dare wish to annoy me, for I shall tell Raoul all. He will understand, and then, Monsieur Nicholas, beware. You shall tell him nothing, said Rokoff. I have this affair now, and with the help of one of your servants whom I may trust, it will lack nothing in the telling when the time comes that the details of the sworn evidence shall be poured into your husband's ears. The other affair served its purpose well. We now have something tangible to work on, Olga, a real affair. And you, a trusted wife. Shame, Olga. And the brute laughed. So the countess told her count nothing, and matters were worse than they had been. From a vague fear, her mind was transferred to a very tangible one. It may be, too, that conscience helped to enlarge it out of all proportion. Man, Tarzan is always getting in the middle of stuff. Crazy. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening today. Thank you for uh, just sharing the podcast. That is the biggest thing. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while, and I know there's people who've been here for every single episode, which is amazing, and I can't thank you enough for, for downloading all those episodes and, and, sh- and all that sort of thing, but sharing the podcast is one of the biggest things. If you think about like how do you discover new podcasts, uh, if you're like me, generally speaking, it's when somebody else is like, hey, you really need to check 
check out this podcast. It's really hard to discover new podcasts, and I think that's why a lot of podcasts have trouble kind of getting up and going. So the best way that you can help me and any other podcast that you know and love, uh, maybe just make a post on social media. Just say, hey, here's my top podcast, and maybe, you know, maybe another World Audio Books is in that list. If so, I would love to get tagged in that post so I can share it around, give you some social media love there. So yeah, anyway, uh, besides that, go to Another World Audio Books, request a free audiobook. Uh, you can also buy uh, all the audiobooks that are in our library to support the podcast. And I want to plug that merch store. Um, you can get the merch by becoming a patron. Uh, that's like exclusive patron-only merch. Or you can uh, actually just buy through the uh, Another World Audiobooks store. And there's a lot of cool designs, all hand-drawn stuff by yours truly. And uh, I, I think they're pretty cool designs. Uh, I, if, uh, if you want to buy it, and then I would love to see like my the designs out in the wild there. So if you want to share those with me if you end up getting one, that would be so cool. I would love to see that. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with Chapter 5. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist.